0: 1 Peter chapter 5, two verses tonight. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Now, these two verses come within the greater context. You'll remember of Peter telling us that elders are to serve the church by providing oversight, not with compulsion, not for sordid gain, being an example to the flock of of God. And Peter said this as a fellow elder. And now he turned his attention in verse 5 to younger men. Younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. So he's, he's focusing first on the elders and their duty to the church, but then also reminding younger men who are not elders or not elders yet to be subject to the elders and to clothe themselves with humility. And so I want to give us two thoughts tonight. Number one is that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, and that we also remember that God opposes the proud and yet cares for you. That God humbles the proud but also cares for you. So number one, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Peter says, humble yourselves. It's an exhortation here. Therefore, humble yourselves. In light of what God has called the elders to do, and young men being subject to the elders, he says here that they are to humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. Now, the mighty hand of God, I think, refers to God's sovereign governing providence. What is the mighty hand of God? That's an anthropomorphic way of explaining the sovereignty of God. Anthropomorphic is just a fancy theological term whereby we think of theological concepts uh, in terms that we understand as men, so that God sometimes is described (coughs) as having um, parts that men have that God does not have. God is a spirit, and, uh, and therefore there is no literal hand. And So when it refers here to the mighty hand of God, it is telling us, though, something just as a man would have a hand, a king might have a mighty hand in his reign and his rule, a strong hand uh, in his governance. God is sovereign in his governing of all providence. Everything happens according to the plan, the purpose of God. So he's what is Peter saying? Therefore, in light of the mighty hand of God, he's exhorting young men essentially to quote, stay in your lane, stay in your lane, stay humble under the mighty providence of God. That is, that God has put us all under authority. All of us, pastor and congregation, uh, we're under authority. Wives are under the authority of the husband. We're all under authority of the civil magistrates. Uh, we Even those who are elders are under the authority of other elders. And so all of us are to be subject to the various authorities that God has ordained for us, whether it be in the home, in the church, or in the state. And so he's reminding young men to stay humble under that authority. It's probably because why? Well, it's probably because it's the temptation of young men as young bucks to want to buck authority and to uh, do what they think is, is right. What I think Peter is saying here (coughs) is this, that stay under the authority that God has given you at this time. And when the right time comes, he will exalt you. If you will prove yourself to be faithful under the authorities that God has given you in your parents and uh, also in the church, that God will, in due time, raise you up uh, as well. We see this... um, Played out in scripture in many narratives. Uh, I'll give you at least five here that I thought of, six or four of them. Uh, first of all, number one, Moses. You see how Moses needed this exhortation. You remember, boys and girls, how Moses really did not um, submit himself at first. He took matters into his own hand, you'll remember, and he killed the Egyptian. He He thought the season, the time had come for the deliverance. And when he saw one of his own being oppressed, he took matters into his own hands. And I think God had indeed put it on Moses' heart that he should be the deliverer of his people. But it was not that way. And so what did God end up doing? Well, God made Moses cool his heels for 40 years in the wilderness, tending sheep that he might learn this lesson. We see it in the life of Joseph. You remember how Joseph was this young man with dreams, dreams that his own family members would bow down to him, that the sheaves of his siblings and his parents would even bow down to his sheaf. And And while his parents, I think, kept these things in mind, it didn't go over too well with his brothers, did it? And here again, maybe because Joseph was, you know, Spreading out his peacock feathers and and not being mindful of probably how he should have been receiving this revelation from God. What did he end up happening? Well, you know, he was sold into slavery, and Joseph had to learn how to submit, even to submit to unjust magistrates. Remember, Joseph, after all, is wrongly enslaved, and he's wrongly thrown into jail after his enslavement, and he's in prison, but yet what happens? as he submits to the providence of God at the due and proper time God raises him to become prime minister of Egypt. I, I think you can make the case that even in the life of David, we see how David um, went through something similar. David was anointed, you remember, as a young man. In fact, when Samuel anoints David, David is so young, he wasn't even on his father's mind as a candidate for the anointing. And Samuel has to ask, after all the other brothers have come into the house, do you have any other brothers? Because God hasn't called any of them. And he's like, well, yeah, there's little David out in the field uh, tending sheep. And Samuel says, bring him. And David comes in, and Samuel anoints him. And yet, you know, David was not exalted immediately to the throne, was he? I mean, you think, first he underwent the, the trial with Goliath. And then after that, you know, he's exalted to the court of Saul, but that ends up becoming a a time of trial and temptation for him. Saul ends up becoming his persecutor, and he's hiding in the cave of Adullam, and on the run, sometimes even going into foreign countries in order to escape from Saul. And uh, so even, even after the death of Saul at Mount Gilboa, we see that all of Israel is not immediately gathered to David, um, and, and there's still this kind of civil war until David finally does become king over all of Israel. We see how Jacob, you remember Jacob, um, had to be in subjection to his father-in-law. Laban worked for his father-in-law for 20 years, 14 years for his two wives, and, and six years uh, for the flock that he had, and even then his wages were changed 10 times. You could think of how Abraham had to wait a 100 years for the birth of Isaac. And what happened? You know, this was a lesson that Abraham had to learn. Because at 85 years old, what happened? Abraham and Sarah get the idea that maybe they should take matters into their own hands again. They're not subject to the providence of God. And so they do something that was wrong and sinful, and Sarah says, here's my maid Hagar, and you go into her, and maybe she will bear a child on my behalf. And of course, we live with that today. All the a lot of the troubles we read about in the Middle East stem from from that. Uh, Ishmael is born, and you you have this tension between the Jews and the Arabs who come from you know Ishmael, um, and and so you know I, uh, Abraham had to learn this lesson as well. So, what what do we make of this for way of application? Well, first of all, younger men in the church. Be faithful to where the Lord has you and, and be subject uh, to the elders uh, in the church. Be subject to those in the workplace, the, to, your, to your boss. Uh, be subject to the state insofar as that the state doesn't ask you to do anything unlawful or sinful. And God will call you. This is one of the ways, you know, before God gives you authority, God often tests you to see whether you will submit to authority. Number two, for you who are children still, Um, here I think the lesson for you children is that you learn to be subject to your parents, that you listen to your mother, uh, that you listen to your father and what they say to do. Um, This is something that even Jesus, you'll remember, had to do. Jesus is the Son of God, and yet what? He had to be subject to his parents. Uh, remember, he's 12 years old, and he's at the temple, and his parents are looking for him. And he said, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And and what does Luke tell us after that? He said that Jesus grew up in subjection to his parents. And and that was hard even for Mary later, you know, at the wedding of Cana. Mary's still thinking of Jesus as her little boy. And, you know, Jesus has to remind her, my, my time has not yet come. You know, and I, I am, we're, we're changing positions here. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm about to become, you know, the revealed Messiah. And, and, and so Jesus had to be, be in subjection to his mother for a period of time. And then, and then that transition, God exalted him to that public ministry. and, and uh, So kids, you, you need to do the same. As I said, the Bible says that all of us, Even us who are elders uh, are to be subject uh, to one another, the scriptures say. Subject to governing authorities. And also, when we are employed, uh, look at Colossians. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, now we don't have the institution of, of slavery, but notice here that it says here, the Bible's Paul writing to slaves, those who were In in bondage to other men, slaves in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth. So even those who uh, were called to Jesus Christ while they were in slavery, uh, that didn't mean that they were to overthrow now their master. But all the more serve their master with uh, not eye service, he says, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. He says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. He says, if you will be faithful in your servitude for the sake of Christ, you will be exalted, you will be uh, honored, and you will receive this great inheritance, he says. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve," he says to slaves. In Romans chapter thirteen, we are told to be subject to governing authorities. This was written, of course, at a time when the Roman Empire was often oppressing God's people and and the church. And yet, um, Paul says, "Be in subjection to them, insofar as they're not commanding you to do anything sinful. We're never to do offer obedience to sin." Okay, so. Uh, but in anything that is lawful for the Christian to do, we are to be in subjection to governing authorities. Now, the, the scripture says here, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now, we have to keep in mind, sometimes that exaltation may be in history, just like we saw um, with Hezekiah, we will see. You know, God will deliver Hezekiah. Hezekiah humbles himself and he will be delivered historically from the hand of the Assyrians. Sometimes God does that for us. Sometimes God doesn't do that for us. Sometimes we have to wait for that exaltation. Sometimes we have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, the difficult providence of God, maybe even, and wait for that exaltation because it will come at the final judgment. So you think about, we were speaking of slaves from the book of Colossians. Think about those who served as slaves here in the South in the 19th century and served faithfully uh, the Lord Jesus Christ as slaves who took these verses to heart and, and served their masters faithfully in that institution. And they were never manumitted in this life. They, they were never set free. But think about the, the reward. Uh, they may be ahead of you and me in heaven uh, because they were more faithful in their institution of slavery than we are with our freedom in serving Jesus Christ. And and so the promise, if it's not fulfilled in this life, certainly is in the life to to come. We think of Christian martyrs who submitted unto death even. Uh, they, They were, as Paul said, they were as sheep to the slaughter. They were as those who submitted and were in subjection even to unjust penalties. And God exalts them. We think of faithful Christian wives who submit to difficult husbands, maybe even an unbelieving husband. And you know that um, Paul says if if the believing spouse um, is in a marriage with one who is unbelieving and the unbeliever is willing to live with her, well, then she should stay in the marriage. And maybe, who knows, God may use her to convert her husband. But even if he doesn't, um, she is to submit unto him in everything that is, is lawful. So the scriptures here um, are reminding us that we all are to submit ourselves to some kinds of authorities, different authorities, whether it's vocational, whether it's civil, whether it's ecclesiastical or familial. Uh, we are all under various authority at time, and we should see that as part of God's providential care for us. Now notice in, at the end of verse 5, which we didn't read in the text, but he says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's why he was saying, therefore humble yourselves. And we need to remember that resistance to this um, is, is a sign of pride in our lives. And there are many examples. I, it didn't take me long to list ten of them myself in my notes here. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, was proud. He exalted himself and said, look what I've done, how great I am. Look what I've built. And God, boys and girls, made Nebuchadnezzar eat grass like a cow for a period of seven years. Herod, you remember, uh, was, it, it received the praise of people who said the voice of a god and not of a man. And he received that and he died of worms. He was struck down by God. Pharaoh resisted the word of God when God was calling him to let the people of God go, he resisted the word of God. He wouldn't submit to the authority of God's word and servants and ended up leading to his destruction. The Roman Empire that we spoke of was destroyed because it, I think in part, the way it treated the church. And God brought about a destruction. I think you read about it in the book of Revelation. I realize the book of Revelation has many different interpretations and but uh, my own view is that part of it, not all of it, but part of it, is dealing with the judgment that God is sovereignly going to bring on Rome uh, because of the way they are dealing with God's people, and and we see also God dealt with that way with Israel in the captivity. David did not submit himself to the law of God, but took another man's wife and, and suffered greatly for it. You remember King Uzziah, boys and girls. We studied King Uzziah many weeks ago, and King Uzziah went to the temple, and what did he do? He, he didn't stay in his lane as a king. He took to himself the prerogatives of a priest, and he began to offer incense in the temple, and leprosy broke out on King Uzziah. You have Nadab and Abihu. They didn't stay in their lane. Two young bucks thought they could bring strange fire to the altar of God. And God consumed them with fire. The women in Amos' day didn't stay in their lane. And got proud and bossy about their husbands. Bring us some wine. And he's called them cows of Bashan. Um, And even the great evil one, Satan himself, who has resisted God from the beginning, we are told in Revelation 20, verse 10, will be thrown into the lake of fire. Pride is a universal human problem. So how do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? What, how can we practically um, seek to humble ourselves? Number one, we confess our sin to God. There is an inborn resistance to doing things God's way. And so we need to acknowledge that. We confess it. God is gracious. He's kind. doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve and we come to him. The Bible says that we will confess those sins. God is faithful and righteous to cleanse us if we will but humble ourselves. So confession of sin is an important and needed part of prayer, probably one that we often forget in our private prayer lives. Number two, we need to remember to associate with the lowly. We need to associate with the lowly. We we are, uh, remember, God had to tell Peter, call no man unclean. In Acts chapter 10, when he gave Peter the vision of the unclean animals and said, rise, Peter, kill, eat. And and Peter says, no way, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean. And and God says, what God has cleansed, don't call unclean. And remember, Peter tells us that the real meaning of that vision was not about food, though it applies to food, but it was about what? It was about people. That when the call came to go to Cornelius' house, Peter was willing to do so, Uh, and and he was willing to minister the gospel. Number three, remember that everybody is an image-bearer of God. Everybody you run into at the grocery store this week, at the gas station, at the mall, uh, when you're maybe shopping for Christmas, everybody that's irritating (laughs) you— Uh, in the in the streets as you're driving to those places, okay? They are all made in the image of God, and we need to remember they are little image bearers like ourselves, and that we are to love our neighbor. Number four, the Bible says we should seek to serve. How do we humble ourselves and keep ourselves humble? We seek to be servants. Jesus of course, came to serve rather than to be served. And as followers of Christ, we uh, want to take up the towel in the basin and learn to serve others. Number five, we need to remember the humiliation of our Savior. Our Savior is God himself. Jesus is fully God, with all the prerogatives of being God. <laughs> and yet he comes as a man. He humbles himself by taking on human flesh, adding it to his deity, humbling himself. Philippians tells us even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And then finally, sixthly, we we humble ourselves in prayer, praying for one another. We serve one another by praying for one another and bearing one another's burdens. Now this leads me here to talk a little bit about verse 7, speaking of prayer. Peter then moves on from staying humble to what? Casting all your anxiety on him, that is on God, because he cares for you. So we are to humble ourselves under God's providential hand, and also we now cast our burdens on the Lord. Now how do we cast our anxiety on God? Now, anxiety is not profitable. That's why Peter's saying we need to get rid of it. I think sometimes, I know, I I have this tendency, maybe some of you do too, that if we're not worried about something, we think we're not taking it seriously enough. And so we actually worry to try and demonstrate to God uh, that we are earnest about something. But The Bible says, actually, that's not what God wants you to do with the worry and the anxiety. The worry and the anxiety is is to be but a goad to bring you to God, like Hezekiah this morning. Hezekiah has great anxiety about the Assyrians at the gate, and he does the right thing. He goes and he sends his delegates to Isaiah to pray, and then, as we're going to see next Sunday, he himself goes to the house of the Lord. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see Hezekiah spread the letter of the Assyrians out before the Lord at the temple and say, Look, Lord, look what they've written. And, and he's going to pray. We are to put our worries on God. Um, we, we do that by writing down, sometimes if need be, what it is that's that's worrying us. What is creating the anxiety within us? Sometimes we feel this anxiety, and we don't even know why we are anxious. If you've ever uh, suffered from anxiety attacks, sometimes you're not even always aware of What it is that's creating the anxiety? Sometimes it requires a little bit of meditation and reflection. I have personally found it helpful. I'm not burdening you with this exhortation, but I have found it helpful sometimes to just write it out. You know, what what is it that is on my mind? What what is it that I'm really worried about? Uh, You know, you're worried about, you know, maybe your kids. Maybe you're worried about losing your job. Maybe you're worried about something serious. And, but, and maybe it, it's nothing to worry about at all. There's oftentimes we worry about things, and then you realize that it, it, it never materialized. You know, you've probably all experienced that. You call somebody, they don't answer. You call again later, nobody answers, and suddenly your mind is heading to West Georgia Hospital ER, right? You know, thinking, surely that's where they are right now. But the Bible says that we are to what? Lay our anxiety on God. And we we, we pray, we seek God, and we allow the Lord to carry the burden. Notice here that the, that the scriptures say He cares for you. God cares for you. I read just uh, this afternoon a, a comment that was I thought was really interesting. He he said, "If if God uh, sought you while you were a stranger, if God sent Jesus Christ." for your sake while you were still outside the covenant, while you were still a stranger to Israel, how much more now that you are no longer a stranger? Will the Father care for you? He was willing to care for you when you were not yet His people. And now that you are one of His people, will He care for you any less? No. He cares for you even all the more as a father. The Bible says that even if a mother uh, should somehow against all nature, lose her concern and care for her infant child. God would not lose his concern for us, his people. The Bible says that he dotes on us. He dwells on us. He loves us with an infinite love. It's been demonstrated in his son's death for us. He cares for us and everything is working out together for our good. He's ordering everything for our ultimate happiness, our ultimate happiness, which is ultimately also our holiness. Uh, God is working it out for your glory. He's working it out for your salvation. And therefore, we can lay these burdens upon the Lord because of his great love for us. He will use these things in our lives to build us into the image of Jesus Christ, his son. So we humble ourselves. Under God's mighty hand, we cast our anxiety upon him. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for our lesson tonight. And pray, Lord, that indeed we'd be doers of this word. And that we would, Lord, not be anxious about anything, but through prayer and supplication make our request known to you. We thank you, Lord, for your great care and love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.